0: Uh, But for today, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 46 to 52, uh, just kind of a clean end and a clean break to this section of Mark's gospel this morning. So if you don't have a note sheet, uh, make sure you grab one, or if you don't have a Bible, make sure you grab one. We have a few uh, on the back table there, so if you don't have a Bible, please grab one. We'd love for you to follow along with us this morning as we lead and study together. So Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, a little bit shorter story, but one that I think will be really helpful, really impactful for us this morning. So go ahead and stand. We're going to read it together. Mark chapter 10, picking up here in verse 46. Just a reminder, this is Jesus and his disciples. They're making their way all the way from the north in Galilee all the way down To Jerusalem on their way to the Passion Week uh, for the Passover celebration. So when that says they in verse 46, that's who they're referring to. So verse 46, and they came to uh, Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Go ahead and have a seat, and we'll pray and ask God to bless our time this morning. Our God and Father, we come uh, before you now to ask for your favor in our time of study. So thankful for the opportunity to come to your word, knowing that your words impart life. And for many of our students, they need life. Uh, They need you to change them. They need to be able to see Jesus. And so, Lord, that is a a pure and an honest request this morning that you would just help us to see Jesus in all his glory, in all his beauty, in all his splendor, and to see that Jesus is worthy to be followed with all that we are. So give us that strength. Give us that wisdom this morning. We desperately need it. In Jesus' name, amen over the last couple of years, uh, our household, uh, we like to often find different movies or shows that we like to watch together as a part of our family nights. One of our favorite shows that we have, uh, learned to love and appreciate over the last couple of years, which has become kind of a national phenomenon in many ways is none other than the famous TV show, American Ninja Warrior. How many American Ninja Warrior fans do we have in here this morning? Yeah. Okay, mostly on the same there's a few a few of you over there. Okay. Um, awesome. How many of you have actually ever done like Ninja Warrior courses before? Like actually gone to like a gym before, yeah? Okay. It's pretty it's pretty sweet. I always like look at that show and think, Man, I if I if I ever gave up one thing, which, you know, right now I'm I'm like in running, I'm like, man, I would love to do the Ninja Warrior stuff, but Um, I'm starting to learn that this would not be a good stage of life for me to just start doing those things. In fact, uh, the crazy thing is, this past year, uh, if you watched this last season, three of the final five contestants who made it to the very last round of it were, like, (laughs) 16-year-olds. They're half my age, essentially, and these guys are insanely good at this show. The reason we we love this, or at least the reason I love this, is because there's a a fascination with obstacle forces, right? And even as kids, we appreciate the nature of obstacle forces. In fact, this is what Zariah wants for her birthday right now. She wants me to build her a a ninja warrior obstacle course in our backyard, to which I say, you're going to have to keep dreaming on that one because (laughs) that is far from my skill set. But... We, we all can appreciate the nature of people being able to navigate uh, the challenges of a, a course that is filled with all kinds of unique trials and challenges for them. And today's story is filled with all kinds of potential obstacles that stand in the way of a desperate man who desires with all he is to get to Jesus. But this is where Mark wants to show us this morning that when you see Jesus for who he really is, nothing, nothing will stop you from following him. Nothing will really stop you from getting to him, but nothing will stop you from truly following Jesus. It's interesting, too, because we're talking about a a blind man being able to see Jesus for who he really is. And what we learn from this character in this story and in this account is that he had all kinds of things that were working against him or all kinds of challenges or temptations uh, to keep him from ultimately getting to Jesus and yet because he saw Jesus for who he really was, this is something we've been talking about a lot here in this this class for the last several weeks, because he saw Jesus for who he really was, there was nothing that was going to stand in the way of him truly following Jesus. This story here, as I mentioned, it's kind of a nice uh, wrap up to this section of Mark's gospel. But this section began all the way back in chapter eight. The reason that uh, Mark is ending here with this story, which is fascinating, because this is actually the very last healing miracle that Jesus performs in the gospel of Mark. This is the very last one. He's done that a lot for the first time. Ten chapters of this book, but this is the last one. And you ask yourself, well, why this story? Why this one? What is it what is it meant to prove? What is it meant to show us? Well, as I mentioned, this is kind of summing up a whole section of Mark's gospel. Do you guys know where that one, where this section began? I'll give you a hint. Back in chapter 8, verses 22. If you were to go back to Mark chapter 8, verse 22, who is it that Jesus heals in that story? A what? A blind man. A blind man. In other words, these two accounts, in many ways, kind of bookend book and a whole section of Mark's gospel. Now, we could say it even goes back just a little bit before that because you have Jesus warning uh, his disciples about the... The leaven of the Pharisees, the influence of the Pharisees, which would keep them from seeing Jesus for who he really is. And what's the very next thing that Jesus does? He heals a blind man. here we are at the very end of the section, Jesus healing a blind man once again. The point of this entire section from chapter 8 to chapter 10 is the ability to truly see Jesus. Mark wants to put that on display for you, to see Jesus for who he really is. And in this whole section, what has Jesus done on three different occasions? Three different times we talked about this. What has Jesus told his disciples about? His death, burial, and resurrection, right? He's trying to get them a, a clear picture of who he really is. And how they respond to it. And as we've seen, most of uh, the, the accounts, it's not very favorable, right? They, they, they struggle to really wrap their minds around who Jesus is. And yet, we have in a story like this, a blind man who we're going to learn actually sees quite well. So, what we're getting from this here, though, is that when you see Jesus for who he really is, nothing will stop you from following him. Well, what are some of the things that keep us from following jesus or from truly pursuing him the way uh that we should so first thing we see in this story is that uh it's not the shame of your past right so the shame of your past does not stand in the way of you getting to jesus look at verses 46 and 47 says they came as they came to Jericho. Or as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So here Jesus is uh entering into and departing from uh the town of Jericho. Jericho at this time is one of the oldest cities in the ancient world. It stands about 17 miles away from Jerusalem. So, in other words, this is kind of like the home stretch of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem for the Passover week. Uh, but these last 17 miles to uh, Jerusalem are very much what we would say uphill. Uh, it's several thousand feet from Jericho to Jerusalem at this point. So, this is, in many ways, this is the, one of the toughest parts of the journey. Uh, For Jesus and his disciples, the final stretch on his journey to the cross. But he must pass through this significant town first. And it's here that he has a divine appointment with a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Now, this is significant because how many times in the Gospels does somebody that Jesus healed get a name? How many times do we learn the name of the person that Jesus healed? To my awareness, there's like never. It's like hardly ever the case that we learn about Jesus healing these people, right? We don't know these other blind people that he healed, the the, the deaf, the mute, the the demon-possessed. We don't really learn their names for the most part, and yet we know this guy's name is Bartimaeus. Uh, in fact, Mark is uh, sensitive to his Gentile readers. He, he explains what his name means. He says uh, his name was Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, which if you know anything about how the Jews did their names, uh, the name Bar uh, in the Jewish language meant son of. So when his name is Bartimaeus, his name is essentially son of Bartimaeus, right? So, kind of an interesting name here, and you're like, this feels really redundant, but again, remember Mark's writing to uh, probably the church in Rome. These people don't know these things. It's kind of interesting, but also, interestingly enough, the reason that he's maybe actually giving Bartimaeus a name, why do you think he might actually mention his name? Think about it for a moment. Why, why might he actually mention Bartimaeus out of everybody else in the Gospel that he's talked about so far? Do you think that maybe, possibly, he might be known to the people in Rome? In other words, why would Mark mention this guy unless people might actually be familiar with who he is? In fact, this is not the only time that he's going to do this in the gospel. We're going to see in chapter. 15 verse 21, another occurrence where he does something like this because he's actually drawing attention to people who might have had a significant role in the church later on. And so this is not some fluke encounter that Jesus has here. This is a life-changing encounter in many ways. So here as he's leaving uh, Jericho sits Bartimaeus, who has set up a very strategic place to collect alms, right? So as a beggar, uh, you, you want to put yourself in a place where you will receive hopefully the, the most uh, income from people who are passing by. Remember, Jericho is a very strategic city on the way to Jerusalem. There's a lot of pilgrims who are going to Jerusalem at this time to uh, celebrate the Passover. So you set up right along the roadside there, you're bound to get a lot of foot traffic going by and a lot of potential donations to you. And again, as a blind person, you can't work. This is your only means of income, is the generosity of other people. Only soon, though, does he realize that he's going to be begging for something, or we could say someone, far more valuable than money. Because as he sits, a commotion begins. A great crowd is uh, making their way through, and it gets loud, and it gets uh, it gets a little bit chaotic and naturally Bartimaeus wonders what in the world is going on. Uh, Luke, who also tells of this story, uh, tells us that Bartimaeus asks somebody who is nearby what's happening, what's going on, who, who is passing by. And there in Luke's gospel and even here in Mark, he tells us that they learned or he inquired and they tell him that Jesus Of Nazareth is coming. The Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And so, what does Bartimaeus do to this news that Jesus is passing by? Does he shout out, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, help me? No. No, he doesn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, help me. Notice. Somehow he puts all the pieces together about Jesus' identity and says, No, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I don't know how he did this. Somehow he puts all the pieces together about Jesus' identity I don't know how he knew, but what we do know is that he saw Jesus better as a blind man than most people did, including Jesus' own disciples with two good eyes. He had faith that Jesus was the true offspring, the true descendant of King David, and as such, had great power, which we're going to see more about that soon. But this is where we see that Bartimaeus did not let the shame of his condition keep him from calling out to Jesus. A lot of people think about all the reasons why they should not pursue Jesus. A lot of people hear the good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ and they think to themselves, you know what? That sounds great and all, but honestly, I'm too messed up. I mean, if God knew all the things that I have done or who I am, they're going to see that he would understand that I am not lovable. Nobody else really appreciates me. Nobody else loves me. I'm too broken. I'm too messed up. All these possible reasons for why they think to themselves, there's no reason that Jesus would want to give me the slightest bit of attention. I mean, a blind man, right? You're talking about somebody here who is the Messiah, who's on his way to Jerusalem. That A lot of people thought he was going to begin this revolution and start his kingdom. Why in the world would this guy want to stop and give attention to me? But Bartimaeus doesn't hold back. And the reason he doesn't hold back is because he realizes that Jesus is full of mercy. He recognized Jesus, something that many people didn't, and that is that Jesus is full of mercy. At the heart of his plea is a cry for mercy. But what is mercy? Mercy, in its most basic form, is kindness shown to someone who is in great need or desperation. That's really the heart of what mercy is. It is kindness shown and expressed towards someone in great need or desperation. And Bartimaeus has a great need and he recognizes, which is ironic, right? Because he can't see. He recognizes that Jesus is the only one who can help him in this state. And he has faith that Jesus is the solution to his desperate problem. And so he holds nothing back here. He calls out with all his might to the one that he knows could change his life forever. After all, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Student, Jesus, Jesus is full of mercy. And he stands ready to dispense that mercy on anyone at all who call out to him with a pure heart. to those who see him for who he really, is, who he really is and don't just want him because of what he's able to, what they're able to get out of him, right? Uh, like James and John from last week. Uh, James and John, in many ways did not see Jesus rightly. And what they did want out of Jesus was for Jesus to kind of help them move ahead in life and to get the next best position. But no, from Bartimaeus, we learn here about truly wanting Jesus for the right reasons. And so here sits Bartimaeus crying out, shouting to get Jesus' attention. And as you can imagine, not everyone appreciated this desperate act. But nothing will keep Bartimaeus from Jesus, not even the opposition of his peers. Not even the opposition of his peers. If you look at verses 48 and 49, we see here the the way that the people responded to Bartimaeus. And we see in verse 48, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Stop it, Bart. Perhaps, Perhaps this was a point of embarrassment. After all, it's like You've got this great leader coming through here, and now you got this insignificant blind beggar who's shouting out. It's just, it's just embarrassing. It makes us look bad. Just, just stop it. After all, Jesus doesn't have time for these types of people, right? Does that sound familiar to you? Sound like something we learned in previous weeks? Who else did the disciples think didn't have time for Jesus? You remember? Yeah. The little children, right? They're too insignificant. Jesus doesn't have time for these insignificant people. It was cause for them to rebuke Bartimaeus of his insistent shouting. And imagine for a moment how different the story would be if he listened. I mean, we wouldn't really have a story, would we? If at this point Bartimaeus listened to, to the crowd and he listened to the, the critiques of his peers and he was like, oh, sorry, I, I didn't realize. Sorry, I'll just walk quiet. Much different story, isn't it? But instead, he calls out all the louder, all the more he persists in his shouting. Why? Because when you know what you get with Jesus, you are not about to let anyone stand between you and him. Perhaps you can't relate to our first point this morning about the shame of your past, but I'm willing to guess that for many of you, if not most of you here this morning, this is the biggest obstacle for you. The the opposition that you get from your peers, your friends, your teammates, your classmates, whoever it may be at school or in your family, this is probably the opposition, the the, the obstacle that stands in your way more than any other. You let others determine what your relationship with Jesus looks like. You allow people-pleasing to keep you from getting closer to Jesus. You listen to the the to the cries of the crowd who are coming back to you that tell you to just be quiet and to just, just keep your thoughts about Jesus to yourself. For most of you, you can relate to that maybe. Or it may not be the, the, the cries that people are giving to you, but it may be very much the subtle messaging that they're giving to you that, listen, don't. No. Don't be such a Jesus fanatic, right? Just just be quiet. The cool thing about Bartimaeus is that he fears the Lord more than he fears people. He cares more about what God thinks of him than what he thinks his peers think of him. Because Jesus welcomes humble hearts. The reason he doesn't have to worry about the opposition of his peers is because he knows that even if they reject him, Jesus will receive him. That's the good news for you and me this morning is that we can not worry about what other people think of us if we understand what we get with Jesus. And what we see in the story, verse 49, that this persistence on the part of Bartimaeus, verse 49, he, he stops jesus stops in fact in the original language there it's something that says that he stood still which indicates that he had been moving and now he is basically stopped in his tracks by what's going on bartimaeus's call is met by a call of jesus now to come to him and i love the you get i don't know if you picked up on this when we read this here there's an ironic attitude shift with the crowd in story. Because they go from his biggest critics to all of a sudden his biggest like cheerleaders, right? Verse 49, uh, they called to the blind man saying, hey, take heart, get up, he's calling you. All of a sudden these people that were now trying to suppress him are now trying to like uh, support him and encourage him and, and cheer him on here. I just always think that's kind of ironic here. But within this stage of the story, we see the nature of Jesus put on display once again. He is not drawn to the proud or the assertive wills of other people like we saw with James and John last week instead like a magnet his heart draws those who are humble it draws those who are humble who see their need for Jesus who are desperate for Jesus and cannot imagine life without Jesus that is the kind of heart that Jesus calls, welcomes, receives into his kingdom. It's similar to the heart of a child. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, because childlike faith expresses complete dependence upon the parent, right? I mean, that is, that is the very nature of, Of of childlike faith, the opposite of of pride that says, I'm I'm good enough on my own, I don't need someone else, or I want to use Jesus for my own selfish purposes. But Bartimaeus is not hindered by the shame of his past or the opposition of his peers. Instead, he remains completely humbly dependent upon Jesus. He recognizes that he needs Jesus more than anything else. And that shows up a lot here in our next point where we see that Nothing will stop you from following Jesus, not even the love of your possessions. Not even the love of your possessions. Now, I don't want to read too much into this section, but I also don't want to overlook some of the significance of this section here in verse 50, because I think it's important when Mark draws our attention to little details, because you don't have to put little details into a story unless they're significant. And so notice here in verse 50, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. A cloak would have been of great importance and very significant to somebody who was blind and who was a beggar. It was probably one of the few pieces of clothing that this guy actually had, Uh, not to mention that for a lot of these guys, the way that they collected their alms that they received from people as they were, uh, going by on the the way they kind of like, you know, how musicians when they play on the street corner, they open up their case so people can put money into their case. Well, for a blind beggar, their cloak was kind of that basket to receive those donations. Right? So this was, uh, both important to him from a clothing standpoint, but really symbolically, uh, of everything that he is as a beggar, as a blind man, kind of all wrapped up in this and what does he what does he do with his cloak here well i'll tell you what we don't see we don't see him gathering up all his things uh, that he can and make his way over to jesus he's not trying to to get it all piled up and get his donations together and, and try to to make his way over to jesus no that's not what he does instead He leaves it in the dust, literally. He leaves it in the dust so that he can get to Jesus. And when he does get to him, Jesus welcomes him, not with a hug, not with a handshake, but he meets him with a question. He greets Bartimaeus with a question in verse 51. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you first of all does that question sound familiar to you where else have we heard that question before i'll give you a hint you only have to go back a week to find where that question is because it's the very same question yeah answer. And who is he asking that question to? To James and John. To James and John. And what did James and John want him to do? Some um, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left. Yeah, they were making a they were making a play for the best seats in the kingdom of God, weren't they? They wanted the positions of honor and authority and power. It's interesting that Jesus asks this question to Barnabas, though, right? Because Let's just be honest. Is, isn't it kind of obvious what Bartimaeus is going to ask for? I mean, you've probably heard it said before that there's no such thing as a stupid question, right? But there are some things as obvious questions, right? If a blind man comes up to Jesus and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He's probably not going to ask for better grades on his upcoming test, right? It's, I, I want to see. No. Here's where we have to remember that Jesus, Jesus knows, right? It's not as if Jesus is oblivious to the fact Jesus knows what this guy wants. He knows what this man desires, but he asks these questions to expose the heart for all, including us, to see his response. Because it shows us here that this man doesn't care about his possessions because having Jesus is far better Having Jesus is far better than anything else. This man tossed aside perhaps his one earthly possession. He dropped it like a hot brick and sprang up to get to Jesus. By the way, contrast that with the rich young ruler who we saw earlier in this chapter as well. There's all kinds of connections in this chapter. What was the reason that the rich young ruler left Jesus and didn't follow Jesus? Yes, go back and read verse 22 in chapter 10. The reason he went away sad was because he had much wealth. Because he had many possessions. Bartimaeus, we learn of one possession. Just one. And he is willing to forsake that at a moment's notice to get to Jesus. Why? Because he believed what Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. He believed in the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. What good is all this other stuff if I don't have Jesus? What good is anything in life if I don't have Jesus? And Jesus seeing the genuineness of his faith is merciful to grant this request. And this is so interesting because, again, this shows all the different ways that Jesus is able to heal. Because when he healed the blind man back in chapter 8, what did he do? He, like, spit in the guy's eyes, right? And he did all this, like, weird stuff. He doesn't do any of that here. He just speaks. Just like he does at creation, he speaks and light appears. The first time this guy is able to see. This is life changing. Even for a guy who saw Jesus better as a blind man than most did with perfect vision. Student. Is Jesus really that valuable to you? Is he better and more desirable than anything else in this world and I know you know the right answer to that question I don't doubt this morning that most of you would give me the right answer my question for you is what's your honest answer if you were to ask yourself that question this morning is Jesus truly worth more than anything else in this world to you how would you honestly answer that question answer that question a lot of times by asking yourself a follow-up question of what does my life show? What does my life indicate? And that can be answered by what we see in our final point this morning where we see that nothing will keep us from following Jesus, not even the challenges of Jesus' path. Not even the challenges of Jesus' path it's interesting that how this story wraps up in verse 52. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus' command to this guy is to go your way. Let me ask you this. What way was that? What way was it? What does the text tell us was his way? Yeah. yeah he, followed Jesus. he followed Jesus. Notice the, 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 the parallel language there. Jesus says to him, go your way. The story ends by saying he followed Jesus on the way. The way for this man was Jesus' way. After all, where else, would, where else could he go? Where else would he go? Where else would he want to go? What was Jesus' way at this point? Well, at this point in Jesus' life, his way was a 17-mile uphill journey to Jerusalem, being led as a lamb to the slaughter. I mean, I don't know about you, but how many of you would be quick to sign up for that road trip? I mean, this guy could have thanked Jesus and went on to live a very cushy comfortable life got a real job got a profession settled down with a wife and kids i mean he could have he could have lived his his own american dream if he wanted to at this point but bartimaeus understood something vitally important student even though following in jesus's path would be hard even though it would probably be filled with all kinds of troubles and persecutions being with Jesus was far better. It was far better. Following Jesus' way rather than the ways of this world, we could even say the American mindset of comfort, is what's best. And that's because Bartimaeus saw Jesus as completely worthy to be followed. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the true son of David. Where else would Bartimaeus turn? Jesus is far more than the guy who just saved you so that you could live with greater comfort knowing that you're not going to hell. Jesus is more than a wise teacher whose morals are cleaner and less ugly than the ways of the world. Jesus is more than a resume pattern for your college applications that show you were involved with church life and your FCA groups in school. Jesus is far more than any of that. Because when you see Jesus for who he really is, you realize that Jesus is your life. He is is your life. He is everything to your life. Everything you do is filtered through that lens of who Jesus is. Of him being worthy because your life and all that you do is an act of worship towards something. And if the Jesus that Bartimaeus saw, both as a blind man and as a healed man, is who he claimed to be, then he is worthy of your all, which means following him completely. It also means the following, that if Jesus is truly the son of David, then Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And a king means a ruler. He means an authority figure. I think we struggle with this concept in our country because we're used to operating in a a type of democracy, right? Where we have some level of saying things. We don't live in a monarchy where we have a king who kind of has... All authority and power to to command and to do whatever he pleases, right? So naturally, I think we as Americans maybe struggle with this concept more because of the culture that we live in. But this is where we have to remind ourselves that if Jesus truly is a king, which he is, He has all authority over you and your life. And we need to treat it that way. That when Jesus speaks, when he commands, he is doing so with absolute authority. But do not think for a moment that his authority is just meant to control you. It is meant for your eternal good. So as the son of David, Jesus is king. Secondly, Jesus hears the cries of those who humbly call out to him. Student, Jesus loves to listen to those who need him most. Like a good father who is anxious to provide the most basic needs and the most pure requests from his children, right? Like I, Some of these things you just don't understand until you become a parent and your child asks for some of the most basic and the most essentials of things. You're not, you're not looking at them with some sense of superiority, you're not despising them. No, you understand the the purity of what they're asking for and you delight to be able to grant that to your child. Jesus is the exact same way. He stands ready to hear and to listen those who cry out to him with a pure and a humble heart. And because of that, we can also understand this morning that Jesus makes time for the lowly and the needy. I mean, this story is, I've loved studying this story this week because it's another reminder to me of the nature of Jesus that he makes time for the people that most of us probably wouldn't. This whole section over the last couple of chapters has shown us the priority that Jesus gives for the lowly of society. He's not partial towards the rich or the religious but rather is quick to be inconvenienced by the needy. I don't like being inconvenienced. I like to have a schedule for the day. I like to operate within that schedule. I hate being inconvenienced. And yet I'm learning that that's what it is. Jesus' life was always being inconvenienced. It should give us great comfort that we have a gentle and lowly Savior who loves to listen and stands ready to give us time. We may think to ourselves, well, who are we to ask for time from Jesus when Jesus shows that he stands ready to give it to anyone? Fourth, and probably the thing we've seen most clearly in this story, that when you truly trust Jesus, you will gladly forsake everything to follow him. Seen in how Bartimaeus left everything, his cloak, his home, his lifestyle, in many ways his identity to follow Jesus. Some of us try to hold on too tightly to our former selves even after we've resolved in our minds to follow Jesus. It could be some of the the things that we used to pursue as as an unbeliever. It could be uh, certain friends or relationships or peers that we just have a a hard time letting go of even though we know that they often hinder us from getting to Jesus. It could be certain greeds or lusts or desires that uh, we are continuing to fight against that are trying to keep us from Jesus and yet we're still finding ways to, to cling and to hold on to those things. But if we learned anything from Bartimaeus today, it's that we should be willing, and not just willing, but glad to leave any of it behind if it means we gain Jesus. That's always a trade worth making. That's always a trade worth making. And so, as we end, I want to ask you one final question and it's the very same question that Jesus asked these last two weeks. And I want you to think about it. How would you answer the question, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? If Jesus were to stand before you here today, right now, sometime this afternoon, and ask you, what do you want me to do for you? What would you honestly respond to him? How would it compare to what James and John asked for last week versus what Bartimaeus asked for this week? And again, I, I think I I know you guys are good at giving the right answers a lot of time, but I, I'm not asking for the right answer. I'm asking for the, the honest answer. I'd love for you to wrestle with that in your heart here today. This afternoon, whatever it may be, to just keep coming back to that question what do I truly want most from Jesus? As I was thinking about the response to that question, it made me think about the fact that Jesus, if you were to ask Jesus, what does he want us to ask for? Did you know that Jesus actually prayed for it in the Bible? He's actually answered that question of what he wants you to want and to desire. He writes of it in John chapter 17, verse 24. When he's praying to the Father in the garden, right before he's about to go to the cross. He's praying for his disciples, both then and in the future. And he prays towards the end of this prayer in verse 24, he says this, Father. I desire that they also whom you have given to me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What does Jesus want for you? He wants for you to be with him. He wants you to see him in all his glory he wants you to see that He is far more worthy than anything else to be followed. When you see Jesus for who He truly is, nothing's going to stand in your way from truly pursuing Jesus and following Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for today. Thank you for our time of meditation. I pray now for just honest hearts as we take a few weeks off from mark's gospel i pray that the words that we have just reflected on and the questions we've asked would ring true in our students hearts and that they would give serious consideration to these questions and they would honestly ask themselves lord what do they want from you what do they want lord help them to see jesus perhaps even for the first time ever, to see him as truly more valuable and more treasuring and more worthy to be followed than anything else. We thank you for all that Mark has taught us. We're excited to eventually here get into this next section to see the sacrificial servant and what he gave up so that we could be with him. So help us, Lord, to live for him now. And for his glory we would ask in Jesus' name, amen.